Hello, welcome to the Sharp Angles podcast. Post round one uh, of the 2023 NFL Draft, I am Dan Pizzuta, joined here by Rich Rebar and Ryan McChrystal. Guys, we just got through uh, all of round one, which it took a while. Uh, 31 picks felt felt like a full first round, though, uh, even without that last pick. So uh, before we jump into it, how are we doing tonight? It's good, man. You know, it's uh, technically Friday as we're, as we're recording this, you know, post round one. And it did feel uh, lengthy, the, the the picks this year. There were a number of trades that kind of pushed things on. But, you know, uh, this is Ryan's bread and butter. So, I mean, we got to get the first take. I mean, Ryan, how, what, how did it go for you? I thought it was a fun first round. It was interesting. It, it in an un in a predictable way, I think it was unpredictable. I was saying before the draft that filling out my mock draft yesterday, it was really hard to come up with player team matches because obviously there was so much uncertainty like right away starting at number two. But I ended up coming up with 32 names that I was trying to fit into my mock draft of the 31 slots. I felt like we kind of knew who was going to come off the board. It was just a matter of total uncertainty as to where they went. And that's kind of what happened. Looking back at my mock draft now, I ended up only getting four player team matches, which in the 20 years I've been doing this, that's tied for the lowest. So it was kind of a tough year as far as getting those matches. But there were only five players who's had their name called tonight that I didn't have in my first round, which is on the higher end. Or or I guess it's on the the lower end of missing on players to go in the first round. So... Yeah, it's sort of this like weird dichotomy of like very unpredictable because we just didn't know who was going to go where, but there was like a really solid core of players that like was clearly separated as the top tier of guys. And, you know, there really aren't too many surprising names still on the board at this point, except obviously, you know, a a big one in Will Levis. I feel uh, vindicated by that feel like the NFL, there's, I, I still have faith in the NFL humanity. There were some things tonight that made me question it, but that was one that made me feel good. Yeah, we'll, so we'll get to the guys who are, are still left uh, on the board uh, a little bit later in the podcast as you look toward you know, uh, day two, round two and three. Um, but you know, like you said, there were you know, a, still a number of surprises in this draft, but it kind of was more of the ordering of some guys, right? And not just a complete shock of someone jumping into the first round who we didn't really have. Uh, it was, you know, in the corners, a couple of guys going before Christian Gonzalez who fell, but we still expected like the corners who did go went in, in the first round. Um, so it, it was a very interesting draft in, in that spot. So let's, I think we should at least start at the beginning because we, we knew Bryce Young was going to go first. That was kind of the thing we had, even when we had our, our preview show, we kind of just glossed over that because that was the thing that was going to happen. Spent a lot of time talking about the Houston Texans, what <laughs> they were going to do it too. Would they take a quarterback? Did they just hate CJ Stroud? Uh, were they going to take Will Levis? Uh, were they going to pass and be in the, the Caleb Williams? After everything, we end up with CJ Stroud going second overall um i kind of feel like that was the right decision and what they should have been doing uh the entire time it was a very roundabout way to do it uh but we finally got there yeah i mean i think the texans ultimately made the right decision it's funny because they 
took so much heat over the last month or so when it was gradually looking more and more like they were going to maybe pass on a quarterback, maybe even not even take Will Anderson, who was sort of the consensus best defensive player. And, you know, there was, you know, a lot of reporting from certain guys in the Houston area, you know, saying that that was probably going to happen. And everyone was kind of falling in line with that. It was got close to the draft, but this was absolutely the right decision. CJ Stroud. I mean, obviously some people like Bryce young, but you know, it's they're close for me personally. Stroud was the best quarterback and he's certainly the safer quarterback. Like as much as there's stuff to love about Bryce young and the, how he's kind of a magician back there at times, He's the tiniest quarterback to be ever drafted this high. And, you know, there's a similar guy out in Arizona who hasn't, who was taken at that range too and hasn't quite lived up to expectations for that franchise. That's a franchise that's a mess right now, despite having just drafted him at the top. So, you know, I, I think Stroud is a home run for the Texans at number two. He's big, tall pocket passer with elite accuracy. Those guys don't fail unless injuries or work ethic get in the way. Like there's such a solid floor for that guy. So this is, this is a great pick for the Texans. And then to also get Will Anderson, they gave up a first round pick in next year's draft to get him. And that could, you know, the, this is, they're not going to be good next year. So, you know, that they gave up a big price to move back up for Will Anderson, but you know, they got arguably the best offensive and best defensive player in this draft. So it's a home run. Yeah, Rich, how are you feeling about the C.J. Stroud fit in Houston? Yeah, I feel like they actually made the right decision. I mean, obviously, you know, I echo kind of Ryan's sentiments about Stroud versus Young. I, I thought that they were close even to my objective end of the model, but, you know, Stroud had a lot of tiebreakers uh, that made him kind of more of the safer pick for me. But I like it from the Texans because they finally have some direction, right? Like, we've been on this podcast for three years, and we have been talking about since Nick Sarah took over that job, that like, what, what is the plan? What is the actual plan? And now that you take quarterback at pick two overall, we have something in place to move forward with because we were going to do the same thing, right? If they pass on quarterback there, what if they're not bad enough to get Caleb Williams or, or Drake May next year? Like there's all this element in the air. Like we just don't really know. And at least they now have a direction to move forward in. And I think that that's at least a positive to build on. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we, we were kind of talking about some of, the the offensive philosophy that would kind of come over from San Francisco. They have Bobby Slowick there, uh, who was you know, with Shanahan and D'Amico Ryan's on that San Francisco coaching staff. And CJ Stroud is kind of the type of quarterback you want in that type of system, right? A guy, if you are going to create openings and you want someone to efficiently and accurately hit those open spaces, like CJ Stroud's going to be that guy. That's basically what he was doing in at Ohio state. Um, so if you kind of talk about what he was doing at, from an offensive perspective in college and he had good receivers to throw to, and a lot of guys were open, that's, you know, what you're trying to put together now, uh, for Houston. So you have, you know, a, a Robert Woods there, uh, like that, it's a fun little fit with that offense too. And I think he's kind of the, the perfect guy to, uh, you just kind of slide in and fit into what they're trying to do on offense. Um, the pick, the trade up to number three is it, it's a lot. Uh, I think we can kind of get over there. So uh, the full trade was the third pick and the 105th pick for 12 
33, a 2024 first, and a 2024 third. Um, that, that's, a, that's a huge trade-up. Um, and I, I tweeted this out during the draft. W- one of the things about the Nick Casario Texans is they really like to give up a lot of value to trade up. And usually that's been in kind of the middle rounds, but they are very mm-hmm. confident and you know overconfident because you know, no one knows, uh, but overconfident in some of these guys that they are selecting. So they have been, um, you know, often uh, they have moved up in, in the middle rounds of the draft, given up a lot of value, if you, whatever uh, trade chart you're looking at. Um, so it's not surprising that in a major move up from 12 to three, they gave up uh, a ton. And Ryan, like you said, that 2024 first uh, could really be a big key here uh, for both of these teams, wondering what the Texans are going to look like. The Cardinals, we have no idea what their future is really going to be. It's not, uh, this is not a, a full ride. Like we, we wrote up those team needs, Rich, uh, and we did not have a good time uh looking at the Cardinals roster. Um, so there's just having that potentially high uh, 2024 first is going to be a big thing for the Cardinals. Um, so it was, yeah. The, yeah. I, I think you can make a case of the Cardinals getting that pick is as important as any draft pick that happened today, because mm-hmm. not only are the yeah. Cardinals are going to be really bad and might just get the number one pick next year on their own, but the, there's a really good chance that's a top 10 to 12 pick that, that they're getting from Houston next year. So they're going to have two very high picks and you know, who knows? They owe Kyler Murray a lot of money, but Caleb Williams is pretty damn special. And not only do they have two picks that could potentially just earn Caleb Williams on their own, but they're going to have the ammo to go up and get him if they decide to. So having that flexibility going to next year, that's huge for the Cardinals. They definitely have, obviously they're in like ground zero of the rebuilding process, but this was a huge step for them to get that pick. I think. Yeah. It's one of those things where, you know, you look at 2024 again, only freeing up $5.6 million cap space with a Kyler Murray trade uh, pre June 1st, but it's one where there's not, uh, you're not losing cap space. You would for a release, but you, in the potential, you're able to move on. You're probably figuring out uh, some kind of trade, but that is something to to watch going forward. Uh, let's let's stick with the quarterbacks because uh, the next pick uh, was Anthony Richardson to Indianapolis, and we had a, a very long Anthony Richardson uh, discussion on our pre-draft pod. Uh, we weren't there weren't a lot of little hints of where. Richardson might go, um, but he ends up going at number four to the Indianapolis Colts. And I think we have three different views of what Richardson is as a prospect and what he might be. Uh, I yeah, We are very much like the nesting doll on Anthony Richardson. <laughs> yeah. So I am admittedly the highest uh, on him and, and what I think he could be. And to me, landing in Indianapolis with Shane Steichen, kind of building off of the offense that he ran with Jalen Hurts uh, over the past couple of years with the Eagles, this is easily probably the best landing spot that he could have had uh, just for a coaching staff. And Rich, we had this conversation. In playing um, time. In playing time. Like, dude, he, he right. has a legit shot to start week one now. And that seemed like pretty much against the odds like in any other landing spot. 
Yeah, it's it's one of those things where we, we've had this conversation. He's not so much raw as he is inexperienced. And, you know, he's been working on some of the, you know, mechanical issues that'll help. And I think this is a good coaching staff for that. Um, and just you know, getting the playing time uh, is, is going to be a big deal. Uh, so having him land uh, in this spot um, and clearly with the number four overall pick, this is a, a team that has a lot of confidence in what he can be. I think building around the run game is probably something like it in a, you know, Jalen Hurts and Justin Fields kind of way that it sets up a little bit, uh, sets up a bigger margin for error of him as a passer. I think that's something the Colts are going to be able to, to figure out a little bit. So um, Ryan, how, how did you feel about uh, Richardson going number four? Yeah, I mean, first of all, kind of shocked because there were no one real, as far as like the national reporters, and whatnot, nobody really connected those dots. Obviously we heard a lot about Will Levis and kind of thought that that was the direction they were going to go. I, Really fascinated to know what happened behind the scenes to lead them to this pick. Uh, maybe we'll never know for sure, but really early on in the process, I thought the Colts were a candidate to draft Richardson because typically with this type of underdeveloped but high traits guy, that's an ownership pick usually. That's the kind of guy. And it kind of seems like with. that's what it was. Yeah, it it definitely could be. Uh because a lot of times you have GMs who come at that pick and sort of say like, ah, I, I like him, but if I draft him fourth overall, I'm betting my job on him and I can't do that. And owners are saying like, oh man, look at those highlight reels. Like, go get that guy. And Ursay is certainly one of the wild card owners in the league. So that, that absolutely could be what happened. This could be a Jim Ursay pick. But then again, like you said, like this is the this was the best spot for Richardson to go as far as a coaching staff. He's got a head coach who helped bring Jalen Hurts along. He's got a quarterbacks coach who worked with Kyler Murray and Cam Newton. So like they have experience developing mobile quarterbacks and will they will know how to put an offense around him. If it's going to work for Anthony Richardson, this is the spot for it to work for him. Yeah, absolutely. You put him, you know, in in a spot and uh and Shane Seiken was asked about this uh, at, at the combine while uh, we were at his uh, his presser. Uh, kind of, you know, you can't really ask, do you like Anthony Richardson? But you kind of get around things. And he was asked about mobile quarterbacks. Said that it wasn't, um, you know, uh, a necessity for him, but it certainly helps. Uh, and then he was asked about accuracy. He said accuracy is one of the more important things, but it's something you can fix, and it's something he specifically kind of had. Uh, an idea that you can fix it with with scheme helping out some mechanics uh, a little bit and I, I think that's where he's going to go and then you just like think of th this run game um anthony richardson jonathan taylor uh, in the same backfield like that's that's a lot of fun um and like there's there's worse ways to kind of build a foundation uh, of an offense you would hope uh the colts offensive line is a little better than it was last year or a lot of this can can go downhill quickly um but yeah i mean the, the pieces in place i think are like this is how this works out and i think like i again i, I don't think there there was a better spot uh that he could have gone to uh rich what the, you the one thing i would the oh, one God. thing I would add to that, although I do think it's a great spot for him, the fact that there's such an easy path to playing time makes me a little bit nervous. I love that he has this coaching staff, but if he plays right away, these players who are so underdeveloped and are working on like basic mechanics and stuff like that, 
playing right away sometimes is the worst thing for that type of player because all the bad hat like as soon as you take the field and you've got an nfl pass rush coming at you there's no time to think about what you're doing you can't think about your footwork and your arm slot and stuff like that it has to be mastered on the practice field so that does make me a little bit worried that he might get forced into the fire too early and some of the bad habits that he's still working through on the practice field just sort of get ingrained because he you know he just he's just fighting for his life out there that, that can certainly happen i mean we've seen quarterbacks ruined like that i think david carr is probably like one of the prime examples when he was in those terrible texans teams as an expansion franchise just just running for his life constantly and super talented quarterback who just like didn't really have a chance and if richardson finds himself in that situation where he's trying to you know nail down the mechanics of playing quarterback while also trying to escape an nfl pass rush that could be a way that it fails despite him being in a really good opportunity with a good coaching staff Yeah, it's certainly, again, like it, I don't want to talk about him as it's, you know, an 100% certainty uh, that he hits. But, yeah, like you said, there's, you know, ups and downs for, for all of these things. But uh, real excited uh, about that landing spot and the potential there. Um, I mean, listen, Gardner Minshew ain't making it more than a month if, if this is the case. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's probably uh, probably the case. And, and again, like we kind of talk about it every year. It, we always go into, uh, you know, this season talking about some of these first round guys, how it might be helpful that they sit and like, they usually never do. Um, so they'll, they'll see playing time sooner rather than the Colts later. would have to really surprise record wise I think for it not to happen uh, I, I think he's got a realistic shot to start week one to be honest uh, just because of, of what you know he could bring just from a floor perspective you know I've talked about it a lot about the sack avoidance stuff and just how it's it's a cheat code for for EPA right and like su- offensive su- success rate like the incompletions are not that big of a deal the, now the coaching staff might feel different eventually uh, and NFL fans watching but the, the inaccuracy stuff is not like that big of a deal objectively in terms of like what it actually means in terms of like hurting offensive success rates. And and that's where I come in and being high on him is how well he did handle pressure. And obviously they weren't like the, the big plays and he wasn't, you know, a, a Patrick Mahomes or a Josh Allen under pressure, uh, but keeping away from some of those back breaking mistakes. Uh, again, like we, we've talked about it a bunch of 11% uh, sack rate when under pressure last year. So I, I think he processes well. I think if you, some of the mechanics help out a, a little bit, again, I don't think he's, because I'm of the opinion, like none of these work. things really fix themselves, right? Like quarterbacks don't necessarily fix themselves. I'm not a buyer of that. Like, I think he's going to have issues with that for his entire career. I think that's basically who he is. Now, can the team coach around that, right? Because, like, that's what yeah. that's what matters. Because, you know, it's not like the old days where, like, we're going to take Mike Vick and try to make him a West Coast quarterback, right? Like, that, that's not that's not what's going to happen here. But I I don't believe he's just going to magically turn into, like, the 70% like completion rate passer. That's not going to happen. So the Colts have to find a way to extenuate what he – does well and make that work for them. And you would hope that Shane Steichen working with Jalen Hurts, who was an objectively better passer coming out, uh, knows yeah. how to do that. Because they try to make Anthony Richardson something he's not, then it's a full-fledged going to fail. It's easy path to, to failure. Yeah, absolutely. But something I'm, I'm real uh, excited to see. So I think this is where we talk about Will Levis for a little bit because we've gone through all the other quarterbacks and and – while we 
talked about the quarterbacks while everyone talked about the quarterbacks. It was a big four and they were all supposed to go relatively early. We, you know, we did mention it during that uh, pre-draft pod that someone was probably going to slide. Even then probably didn't think it was going to be one of these guys out of the first round uh, entirely. So uh, there's, there's some reporting that there's a, the foot injury that kind of hobbled Levis a, a little bit in the 2022 season is uh, something some teams are concerned about being a long-term issue, uh, which might have been about the slide. I mean, I don't think any of us were really high on Levis as uh, a player, um, but I think even with that, we kind of still expected him to go somewhere in the first. So him for him to be here, uh, sliding all the way out of the first round, uh, definitely one of the shockers of the night, I would think. I mean, I never thought he was worth a first round pick. So it, it actually, like I said, it, it makes me feel better about the NFL's evaluation. And, it may, and combined with last year, right? Because I don't think any of those guys were first round picks last year and one of them got in the first round. But it gives me some faith that at least the NFL's starting to look at some things that matter, right? That I that I think that are objectively sticky. And Will Levis's negative plays are just too, they're too prominent, right? Like he's one of the worst quarterbacks yeah. at taking sacks. He's one of the worst quarterbacks at turnovers in the red zone. Like, these are things that you can't succeed with in the NFL. Uh, I think he's fine. I think where he goes now is really good for like a team. If he goes in the second round, there's no pressure on him to play. Really. There's no pressure on him to deliver as like a franchise savior, right? Like the things we're going to talk about, with the, the, talk about Anthony Richardson, like, and like the team has contractually like all upside with Will Levis. Like if he hits as a second round pick and he has to play, like that's just, it's just a, a bonus. So I think this is the right spot for him. And especially Hendon Hooker, who is getting steam. I never bought Hendon Hooker in the first round at all. Thankfully, uh, it was the one savior of the, the betting night. Because we didn't talk about that with Paris Campbell. Like Paris Campbell going to the Cardinals, but not at pick three, was an absolute crippler for the for the wall out there initially. Paris Johnson, yeah. I yep, know. I'm sorry. It's a Paris Campbell. <laughs> yeah. I just, yeah, you know, like we had the Colts and the Paris yep. uh, all like <laughs> melding into one thought there. Yeah, I really wanted Paris Campbell to go at three after I had that in my mock draft and took so much heat for it two weeks uh, you ago. Did, but you did it too. You went Campbell. Yeah, also. I had Paris Campbell two weeks ago at my mock, in my mock draft at number three. And no, again, everyone Paris was in Johnson. my mentions because it's, it's the it's time. Late. It's late. It's after midnight. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Paris, We're Paris in the gremlin zone here, man. Paris, Paris Johnson. Johnson. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's very late. My brain is completely scrambled at the end of round one, but yeah, I mean that, that I was, that was one pick that I was really, really hoping to hit on, but still feel good about getting it right with him landing in the right spot at least. Yeah. That was one of those, uh, you know, reading the tea leaves correctly. Uh, I just, you know, it didn't happen uh, in, in the right spot. So interested to see where Will Levis goes. Um, obviously, that's going to be something we'll have to wait for, for Friday uh, to see. And we'll probably hear more about, you know, why, what teams, you know, really didn't think of him uh, as a prospect, what some of this injury might be. That's one of the uh, one of the things you watch for. But as we go. But to be fair to Levis, this, like once we cleared that initial wave, like, it, it it was hard to find like a in a like an objective top down spot to like someone that should have taken him in the first round, right? Like once the Texans and actually that ended pulled up being the, the conversation we had with yeah. with Richardson uh, when we were talking about his slide. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, once you got to that point, Tampa really Bay was really the only other team yeah. like left over where you could really draw like a clear line, right? And say like, yeah, 
the maybe the Buccaneers. But other than that, like there was no other spot for him to really go that where you look at it and say, like, yeah, someone should really take a shot and give him the keys. Yeah, I mean, I've been saying this all along. I I I'm kicking myself now because I had had Will Levis out of my first round in the last month or so of mock drafts leading up. And I had been saying all along, one of these quarterbacks is going to fall out of the first round. We're not getting four quarterbacks, let alone five, which was just a completely absurd rumor that never had any chance. Hooker, that next quarterback always gets the buzz leading up to the draft that, hey, you know, this this last guy on the board who's almost a first rounder is definitely going the first round. It never happens. I mean, we, we heard it last year with Desmond Ritter and, you know, look where he ended up going. That that always happens. But I want I thought either Levis or Richardson was going to fall out of the first round. And I ended up buying the Levis Colts rumors that were really picking up steam and ended up bumping him back in. But yeah, I'm not surprised at all that he did end up falling. You know, once Richardson went four, I thought it was pretty clear that Levis was going to fall at that point because there just weren't enough landing spots. And you could kind of read um, read between the lines on some of these teams, even with the Bucks, you know, we thought we they were kind of, you know, quarterbacks were matched to them in mock drafts every so often, but they didn't actually visit with Young or Stroud. They only visited with the other t- tier of quarterbacks. And to me, that said that they were in, they were thinking if one of these guys in that next tier falls to day two, then we've got to be prepared to think about it. Mm-hmm. But we're not doing it in round one, no matter what, even if CJ Stroud were to fall. Because, I mean, look at what the rumors were leading up to the draft that we were thinking, yeah, maybe Stroud does follow the first round. And if the Bucks were in on drafting a first-round quarterback, that would have just been flat-out negligence on their part to not visit with C.J. Stroud. So the fact that they didn't do that, like we, we kind of knew they weren't going to draft a quarterback. Now, they could draft Levis on day two because they've done some homework on him. And I think that was their plan all along. But, yeah, whoever fell out of the top ten, or really whoever fell past – Tennessee and Houston if theoretically Houston didn't take a quarterback at number two in that 11-12 slot that guy was going to fall and so once we reached that point with Will Levis it became a, a real long shot that he got into the first round the one one thing I also want to say about Levis I'm because he's on the board I'm now fascinated by the Rams pick at 36 yeah. I think bring that because up, looking at it yep yeah although, although Liam Cohen isn't there he went back to Kentucky Obviously, he previously left Kentucky last year and was spent a year with the Rams where he'd been with before. No team in the NFL is going to have better inside information on Levis. And obviously, they don't need him right now. You know, who knows how much longer Stafford's going to be there or what they want to do as far as like rebuilding. It's a really interesting, really interesting scenario that could happen at the top of day two tomorrow. It It is interesting. I feel like the success they had going from Jared Goff to Matthew Stafford, I'm not sure if they would want to potentially go back in a Goff-ish type of way in kind of what Levis would have to be um, in that offense. But yeah, like you said, it it is a very interesting kind of top of draft. You know, you still have uh, the Lions at 34. They were a potential you know, quarterback places that make more sense for them in the second round. Uh, you have the Rams sitting at 36, the fifth pick. Uh, you have the the Raiders there at 38, the seventh pick. Um, you still have the Titans uh, at 41. So all of these teams that we thought maybe could potentially do that in the first round, 
they're still up there at the top of the board uh, in the second. So that could potentially be uh, landing spots there uh, for him to, to go early. So as we, Lions, get into, we don't know what the hell the Lions are going to do at this point. After all right. Today. So let, let's, let's dive into that. Right. Because... And I love Brad Holmes. Listen, I love Brad Holmes, buddy, buddy. We've got, we got to, we got to have to talk about Brad Holmes, man. So we can get into the Lions and then we'll we'll parlay that a little bit into the Falcons pick because I think they, they tie together a little bit. But the Lions as a whole kind of started off this draft. You know, they, they trade back uh, when Arizona or when the back to 12, then traded back up to six. Uh, Detroit uh, did, a, did a pretty good job getting 12 34 uh, just to slide back a couple picks. We were like, okay, the, the Lions are, are doing their thing. And to this point, they've been a generally smart, uh, kind of progressive, forward-thinking franchise. Uh, and then get Jameer Gibbs at, at pick 12, which... And you know, Gibbs started to get steam like the last couple of weeks of like potentially getting into the first round. And I as, mean, as a even, back half of the first round guy, yeah. And even that seemed like, uh, you know, a reach for his archetype, right? Like we talked about him, you know, go back to the running back pod. Uh, but like for his archetype to go at pick 12 overall, like man, I'm trying to like make sense of the signal, right? Like, do they really view him as like a CMC type guy? Because this is an organization that like was, has been reluctant to use Deandre Swift. Right. And Deandre Swift's a 212 pound running back, Like he's not 199 pounds like Jameer Gibbs. So I'm like trying to like make sense of everything like with this. Cause if like, if, if he is like kind of like the speed and space player that he was in college, like, is that worthy of 12? Absolutely not. Do they view him as more? That's why they took him at 12. But then, like, why the hell weren't they using DeAndre Swift like that? And obviously, DeAndre Swift had some injury stuff. But And then what do they do with DeAndre Swift moving forward, right? Because they add David Montgomery. Like, there's a lot here. And then they, they followed up with an off-ball linebacker. So you take a potential satellite back at 12 and then an off-ball linebacker. Just a, a complete egregious use of the, the, the draft capital they had war-chested up for this draft. Yeah, I think – they're easily the losers of day one. And it's it's hard to even, even if both of these players are good, right? they still lost because they didn't get better where they needed to get better. Like both of these players could be decent starters for them and it just doesn't fix what they needed to fix. That's what's so crazy about it. Like with Gibbs, how, how is he substantially better than DeAndre Swift? I think he probably is a little bit better. I, th- I think I have him rated a little bit higher than I had Swift, but is he? S- he's not so big an upgrade that you needed to draft him where you did, especially when you've got actually some decent depth at the position too. Like that wasn't a position they needed to, to touch, and yet and they, they did signed a guy in free agency for like a yeah, decent contract. It, it, if they came out of this draft without a running back, I don't think anybody would be questioning Brad Holmes at all. And so to take him there, but you know, he's also such a huge risk at how at his size. Like he weighed in at 199 at the combine, which isn't tiny, but it's a red flag because running backs, you want to be over 200 pounds. And if you can't get over 200 pounds for the combine, when you know you need to be over 200 pounds, that means you're not going to be playing at over 200 pounds on Sundays. When you look back at the history of first round running backs that um, did not check that 200 pound box, 
going back to 2000, the list is Trung Candidate, Javid Best. Have fun with that, Lions fans. Chris Johnson and CJ Spiller. Chris Johnson, home run, but that's one out of four. And even when you look at the second round guys, it's Ray Rice and LaShawn McCoy, two two wins there. But then Isaiah Peed, Michael James, and James Cook. Like it is not a good hit rate for these smaller running backs. So I, I think it's a huge risk. And even if it works out, it's you know it, it just doesn't help you that much. And then the Campbell pick. I mean, I've got a couple stats that I wrote down that I want to share here just to highlight what the Lions are trying to fix. They ranked dead last in the NFL, allowing 75 completions at 15 or more yards downfield. An off-ball linebacker doesn't help you there. Rank, they ranked 30th in yards per attempt allowed when the quarterback was not pressured. That Jack Campbell off-ball linebacker, maybe he marginally helps your coverage, but you know linebackers are not critical to coverage. And then they generated pressure in 2.5 seconds or less on 20% of dropbacks that ranked 22nd. Jack Campbell's like maybe occasionally going to blitz. He's not going to have a substantial impact there. The big areas where they sucked last year when they got burned, Jack Campbell does none of, he helps with none of that. So again, maybe he's good. I, I like him, you know, but they reached for him a little bit at least. And he, he just fixes nothing about what they needed to fix. I, I think they completely bombed this first round. I think you just nailed it best. You said both of these players can actually be successful NFL players and it not change their team dynamic at all. And I think that's really the crux of it. Like that's just a, it's, it's a, it's a negligence and of understanding how to use the draft capital you had, you had acquired with through, through great trades. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, you look at Campbell had 127 tackles, which is one of the highest, you know, among the, linebackers in this draft class but only 44 percent of them were solo tackles so he's a guy who can go over the field but he's not making a lot on his own um he was you know fine uh, in coverage but but again you already had like you know, if you kind of go down the the depth chart like alex Azzaloni and malcolm rodriguez maybe aren't names that completely would stand out to you know the average person but they were fine and malcolm rodriguez had some and what was he a sixth round pick uh last year yeah and he became a starter had some flashes on the field so it's already a position where you see like you can get uh, some of that if you're picking the right kind of guys a little later in the draft um and i think going back to the running back part and picking gibbs like so obviously he had crazy athletic 110 speed score. And we, we kind of talked about that. That's a, a very like high mark to hit like successful backs do hit uh, that mark. Um, and you kind of look at what he had as an offensive line. Alabama wasn't great. He was hit at the line 47% of the time. That's not going to happen in Detroit. I think there is a little kind of, you know, galaxy brain outsmarting themselves a little bit. When we kind of talked about when you have that running back, is he kind of changing your offense? And with Gibbs, who was split out 16% of the time, I could see Detroit thinking that does add an element and kind of spreads them out a little bit and kind of just gives them something they didn't really have with some of their other backs. Um, and they, they get that little bit of changeup to have kind of a, a mismatch uh, in coverage a little bit. Uh, but again, to use the, the 12th overall pick uh, on that, there's something you probably could have gotten the later in the draft. It's, yeah, it, it's a tough look. Um, so wait, let's stick to running back because Atlanta, 
taking John Robinson uh, eighth overall uh, is a thing we kind of saw coming because there were some, <laughs> there, there were, I mean, it's just one of those things that was like, it. you knew, you knew it was going to happen, man. Should it have, maybe not, but we knew it was going to happen. So this is another one where could be, a, could be a lot of fun, could work out fairly well, which it probably should because Atlanta was really good running the ball last year. Um, so you add a talented back in John Robinson that should continue to be a good run game. Uh, but you kind of look at how much better is it going to be? Atlanta was already really good last year. Tyler Algier, who they got in the fifth round last year, was the most efficient running back in the league by EPA per carry. And that wasn't because he was getting a whole bunch of wide open runs. He was hit at the line fairly often. He had a decent amount of uh, yards after contact per attempt. Um, So he was someone who was making part of that run game better. So in the grand scheme of things, even like putting, like, do you take a a running back and the running back value and whatever high in the first round? I don't know how much better as as a whole Atlanta thinks the running game is going to get because they were already pretty good. They let their running backs led the NFL in rushing yards and yards per carry last year. They had three different running backs in the top 20 in EPA per rush among running backs at 50 or more carries on the season. And that was like with the Island to misfit toys, right? Like a fifth round pick, a 31 year old Cordell Patterson, Caleb Huntley was efficient when he had to play. Uh, and no so- passing game to make one and yes and no passing game whatsoever and this is another team like uh you know i haven't gone back and analyzed because you know we were right and everything but like maybe ryan can help us out here uh i mean this was a team too like they this team needs pass rushers like absolutely needs pass uh, rushers they had the worst passers in the league by a good margin <laughs> i wrote up that defense <laughs> and yes they do need pass rushers yeah because after them jalen carter went after them uh you know, uh, Lucas Van Ness went after them. So, you know, Will McDonald went after them. Like, uh, you see, even if Bijan is Bijan Robinson, the prospect we all believe him to be, the, you can't go from being first in the NFL and rushing yards as running backs to go. There's nothing above first. Like, you can't go further than first. <laughs> so I don't know what, like, what, what we're getting here. Yeah, I mean, this conversation <laughs> sucks because Bijan yeah. Robinson is really fun. And like, I, I want to root for Bijan Robinson. But even if Bijan goes to him. like the, like a, a, I don't know, like to the Bengals, I don't know if they trade up and do him. Like you can at least say something like he adds something to the team, right? Like they are already first. They're already yeah. first. That, yeah. Categories. So that's, that's what I am with the Falcons throwing out the whole positional value thing is, is how good they already were running. So I'm just not sure how much better they think they're going to get. Like they have to be first by a mile in order for this to like really work out. Well, then the other factor is look at where they are from a team building standpoint. It's just not an appropriate time. Like, even if they had the 30th pick in the first round, I would say it's not appropriate to draft them there. And I'm not even someone who says you should never draft a running back in the first round. I think, you know, especially in, you know, picks like 25 to 32, they're cheap enough there that if you're a contending team and you need an upgrade there, I think it's reasonable. Like if the, if theoretically, let's say he fell into that range and the Eagles or Bengals drafted him, I wouldn't criticize them for that. I think, you know, they're Super Bowl contenders, and if that's what they think they need, I think you can you can justify that so long as it's a, a really special player like B. John Robinson. But even if the Falcons, they're, they're not contending for anything. Like, I guess they're contending for the NFC South because a winning record might win you the NFC South, but 
you know, you're getting bounced in the first round. Like you're not competing for the NFC. And so it just, it's a really inappropriate time for them to be adding that type of player when they have so many other holes that they should be focused on. Yeah. It's so it's, it's not a fun conversation to have, but we kind of have to have it. And I think it being Atlanta, it makes the conversation different. It's not just, you shouldn't have taken a running back. It just, it, right. it is a weird spot for them for how good they already were. They already had a good back. It's not like they were kind of just making things happen uh, with, you know, not a great backfield. Tyler Algier just in general on his own was good on top of all the other backs. So yeah, a, a weird thing. So let's, Let's jump into just, go for it. Sorry, just one other thing I wanted to add to that conversation. Because they have Desmond Ritter and they're sort of in a weird spot where he didn't look terrible, but we think he's probably not the long-term answer. By adding Bijan Robinson and leaning into the run game more, like we assume they're going to next year, they probably did get like a little bit better by adding him because they can design a really good run game around that and they'll probably be able to keep games low, lower scoring and they're in a terrible division. That just ruined their draft pick though. Exactly. Like you probably <laughs> want to at least be within shouting distance of Caleb Williams and Drake may. And now I think that I think Bijan Robinson makes them just marginally better that they're going to now get like the 15th pick next year and have no shot at a quarterback. Oh, yeah, the Falcons are totally a team I can see, especially in the division they're in, like, winning six to eight games somehow next mm-hmm. year, like, very low-scoring games. Like, you know, like, they probably should win, like, the Giants this year. I, mean, I don't know if they have sure. a Giants, like, jump where they make the playoffs or anything, but, like, winning close games that they probably could be 50-50 and, like, isn't sustainable, I could definitely see them being one of those teams. I mean, they were close to that last year. There were points yep. be, uh, because, yep. because of the NFC. We were like, the Falcons might be – we, I think, talked about the Falcons were one of the most fun teams. They weren't always the best team, especially because that defense was atrocious. Um, but the defense might still be uh, bad again. Uh, when you have a bad defense, hard to be running all the time also. So uh, there's there's a lot, a lot going uh, into this pick that goes much deeper than just, you know, running backs don't matter. Um, so we'll, we'll be having some, some more discussions uh, on that. Let's... Let's go to uh, let's let's get some uh, opinions going here. Um, Ryan, we'll start with you. What was maybe your either your favorite pick, your favorite fit um, from from this draft? Oh man, let's let me look at the list again. It's so hard to remember. Uh, <laughs> I know the draft at this point happened like five hours ago. I know. <laughs> It's so hard talking about the draft after it happens because like the weeks leading up to the draft, I feel like I've learned all the prospects. I can talk about it for hours on end and then they actually land in, in spots. And I'm like, uh, okay, who, where that was, are they? Yeah, now? I wasn't ready for this spot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. But one, one that I do really like, Christian Gonzalez going to New England. Um, I wasn't stunned that he fell. I, you know, All through the process, I certainly thought he was going to be a top 10 pick. And then when going through some scenarios – this week and seeing how, you know, some of the guys who might come off the board a little earlier than we were thinking along, like some of the quarterbacks and B. John Robinson, like I figured if that happened, it looked like the corners could potentially be the ones who slid. So I wasn't stunned that he fell, but for him to go to new England, for them to trade back 
and still get a guy who has a very strong case for being the top cornerback on the board. He's, he's my top cornerback. Great value. Great job playing the draft to be able to make that happen. But I also, as good as he was in college, I think he has a chance to elevate his game to another level because Oregon really was a very zone heavy defense. And that kind of isn't really Gonzalez's game. Like he is much more effective when he's able to get physical with receivers and be in man coverage in new England. They may have played at the highest rate, certainly among the highest rates in the league of man coverage last year. So I think it's a great fit for him. Like we talked about Anthony Richardson, the Colts being the perfect fit for him. I think this was the perfect fit for Christian Gonzalez because they're going to put him in situations where he's at his best and as good as he was, I think he has the potential to almost immediately elevate his game in the NFL just by, just by playing the style that suits him better. Yeah, I think, um, you know, in New England played 28.3% uh, man coverage was the seventh highest. They, they played a little more, you know, cover three than they had uh, in the past, just because I think of kind of the, the corners and the skill position or the skills they had um, at in the secundary, they played at 17% uh, cover two, uh, which was one of the highest rates in the league. So they were kind of, you know, a little different than what, you know, we would think of the Belichick defense. But I think looking at someone like Christian Gonzalez uh, is someone where they probably want to morph a little bit back into what they had played uh, in the past. And, you know, when you had the, the JC Jacksons who were able to kind of play uh, in that type of role. Uh, and, yeah, they probably felt right, forced like, into changing a little bit last year and now this is a yeah. sign that they, they really want to get back to what he does best yeah and i, I think that that's going to be fun the all of the corners were it was a super interesting um just kind of a place where where they fell right we got uh it, i think just devin witherspoon going fifth overall uh was was a shock i don't think a lot of people connected dots of seattle taking a corner uh, but now that it happened, I kind of love that fit, right? It's uh, somewhere someone who is going to play very physical. Now opposite Tariq Woolen, that's a really fun uh, pairing there. You know, they're doing a little more of some of the, you know, cover six stuff. They, they want to shift a little bit in what they're doing. It's not just going to be, you know, the, the Pete Carroll cover three type thing. So if you have someone who's going to play a little more physical uh, opposite uh, a really good corner, because we've talked about it during the season teams just stopped throwing at Tariq Wollin in like the back like last quarter uh, of the season they just kind of they gave him that Rick Sherman treatment where we're just going to throw to the other side of the field now if you have Devin Witherspoon there um, and you have some some fun safeties uh, in the back end um, I think that's going to help out a pass rush that still needs a little bit of help and we might see that in you know day mm -hmm. two or three uh, but that's fun uh, Emmanuel Forbes going before Christian Gonzalez again a little bit of a shock but I like that there was a team that liked him and didn't wasn't scared away uh, by the weight because he's someone that plays physical, has great ball skills, um, and all of that. So uh, I think that that's a fun fit uh, in Washington. Also, uh, Rich, uh, who were you liking as uh, one of your favorite fits uh, in the first round? Well, I, I mean, listen, I, I love what Seattle did, especially when you combine with, like, last year's draft class. Like, John Schneider's back on his bullshit, man. Like, no, knows where to spend draft capital. They always have. They've, they've allocated to the right positions, the early-round capital. This is what the Lions should have done. And obviously, they got one of the Lions' yeah. guys, probably. That's why they traded back. 
But there were two you know, very you, different ways to handle this draft, and we saw yeah. that from Seattle. I mean, you Detroit. stay, and then they, they stay put at twenty, and Jackson Smith and Jigba's just sitting there as the no wide receiver have been selected at that point. So you get him, uh, it, and it gives you so much more flexibility because Tyler Lockett's going to be thirty-one. They can potentially get out his contract, or he has two more years if you know they need to let it ride out. They and it allows them just to open things up. I mean, this is a team that was twenty-sixth in the NFL in 11 personnel on passing plays last year. Uh, their offense largely was funneled through two players and then uh, a, a, a gaggle of tight ends last year. And it just gives them more versatility, and it gives them another guy on a nice rookie contract at a position that matters where you can get contractual leverage. So I love that. Um, I like uh, the Steelers, man. Just moving up a couple spots and getting Broderick Jones. Uh, this is the team that's had – uh, you know, they obviously have a, a young investment into Kenny Pickett. Now, what I think about Kenny Pickett as a prospect, like this is what you do when you have a quarterback. You get it. Their tackles have been awful the past two years. Dan Moore was, I think, a fourth round pick two years ago. He hasn't been good at all the past two years. Uh, Chuck Corfor has been really bad the past two years. They add James Daniels last year, and he was a really good hit. They add Isaac Samolo uh, this offseason. So, like, they're trying to make this offensive line a lot better. That was a big problem areas two years ago, and it's kind of revamped. Obviously, you need Broderick Jones to hit, but there was only, like, really two tackles. Ryan kept telling me there was only two tackles in this class. And Paris Johnson was gone, and they went and got the other guy. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the Steelers, I thought, did a really good job just giving up a fourth-round pick to come up and – and get ahead of, uh, I think they jumped the Jets, who maybe were looking there, but uh, definitely like that too. And Jordan Addison, from a fantasy perspective, I thought was the the easy the easy pick of the of the, of the first round. I'm glad you brought up Smith and Jigba. That's another one that I really like too. That's a great spot for him. I think we should feel really encouraged about about his ability to produce right away there, because yeah. if you look, look at what they did with DK Metcalf. And the, remember the conversation around him was that he's kind of limited. He's just, he's big and fast, but he's just like a straight line athlete. And Seattle was like, well, okay, then we'll just use him as a straight line athlete. Just let yeah, him we'll do, let him do, he's do good the big at. and fast things. Yeah. 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 Like, okay. So we just won't ask him to do the things that he's not perfect at. Well, Jackson Smith and Jim is sort of coaching. the opposite. He's not a straight line athlete, but he's spectacular at everything else. And I feel pretty confident seeing as how they handled Metcalf that they're going to do the same thing, especially since he's now paired with Metcalf. He's paired with a guy who stretches the field and he also gets to work with Tyler Lockett who kind of does everything well. He's probably, he's seems like he's probably a great guy to, to learn from sharing a locker room with him as far as really perfecting the route running, whatnot, and the stuff that uh, Smith and Jigba already does well. I think that's another guy who landed in a really ideal situation to maximize his skill set in their offense. Yeah, Seattle's in like a unique spot because of the Geno Smith thing. Like how good, it, you know, how much was Geno's 22 reality? The back half of the season wasn't as strong, but they're, they know that they're not in a position to really kind of like get another quarterback. Cause remember when they picked Richardson was even gone. So maybe they just didn't even like Levis uh, at all, like everyone else. Um, and they didn't really have to do, I mean, Geno's Geno's 32 and you figure in quarterback years, like he could still have like a five or six year run where in the NFC, he might not even be a bad quarterback. Uh, <laughs> uh, so Seattle could low-key be pr- pretty good. Like, they could they could actually have a pretty, like, sneaky good team. Obviously, a lot of rides on Geno, but, like, if these two rookie classes are as good as what the results they got from last year and as good as we believe the first round was here, I mean, the NFC is still kind of open for them. They're, it sinks that they're in a division with one of the good NFC teams, but... Seattle looks to be not in a bad spot for like a year ago. People were like, this is, this is a dumpster fire. And now look at where we think about Seattle. 
Yeah, uh, JSN to Seattle was was one of my uh, favorite picks. Uh, we did the I did the quick reaction video for our uh, for our Twitter feed. Um, I do not want to admit how many videos are currently on my phone of me uh, not getting Jackson Smith and Jigba uh, correct as I was trying to go through these reaction videos. Uh, so you know, my camera roll is is very fun uh, right now. But yeah, I mean, just like you said, it, it's the perfect complement for what they, they already have. And to be able to now go three deep there, they, they were struggling to find a third wide receiver uh, for most of the year. Um, and there just you know, wasn't a guy who really – did anything worth being on the field. So they had to run a lot of those, you know, heavy tight end mm-hmm. things and, and their tight ends weren't, weren't great either. Um, and both so Lockett and Metcalf got nicked up along the way last year. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they were struggling a little bit in the pass catcher. So to have the three deep and quality there is, is great. And I think that that's going to be a, a very fun uh, thing to watch. Like you said, Jordan Addison going to Minnesota, um, pairing him with Justin Jefferson and Jordan Addison is just, just good at football. Again, I think a lot of, we kind of overthought a lot of his, you know, uh, he's not the, the best athlete doesn't have this great, like straight line speed, but there's no receiver in this draft who like understands leverage uh, to get off uh, the line, a uh, create separation. He's just good at being a wide receiver and add him in a Kevin O'Connell offense, um, you know, obviously there's still the, the quarterback question there, but for what Minnesota is going to be building uh, in that offense, and they kind of needed a wide receiver too. And I think that's kind of a perfect spot for him to be opposite Jefferson, not have to lead uh, a uh, a receiving room. And that was kind of the thing about all of these wide receivers, right? They weren't really, you know, wide receiver ones who were going to be the the target monsters in in these offenses, uh, and none of these guys are going to a place where they really have to be that. I think that's going no, to help yeah. them also. Yeah, yeah, even Quentin Johnson, who like we've kind of you know said a glass half full, glass empty. Like he can just go play now. You know, yeah, Keenan Allen and, and Mike Williams there as a short term runway. Like he doesn't have to carry a passing game because that was always the thing. Like if Quentin Johnson goes to the Giants, right? Like is he is he going to be able to like carry that 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 target load? And he's not going to have to. He's not going to have to in twenty twenty three. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a big deal for both of those guys because there's some obvious limitations that Mm -hmm. I I guess Quentin Johnson has the potential to, you know, maybe learn and grow out of. Maybe he does grow into that number one guy. Addison, I think, is probably going to be limited to being a second option, but he's landing in a situation where he's with another great young receiver. Like, there's never going to be the expectation of him ascending to that level. He can be a great number two, and they'll be thrilled with him there. So I think that's really critical for both of them easing in to a spot where the expectations are limited and where they can design a smaller role for them and just really take advantage of what they do well, as opposed to trying to ask them to do everything. Yeah. I mean, if Quentin Johnson goes to the Patriots or like I said, the giants, like there's immediate pressure for him to be good. Mm -hmm. And that just doesn't exist right now. Now he can be more of a, you know, an initial complimentary piece. Addison's going to have a way larger role in 2023, but he gets to run free outside Justin Jefferson. (laughs) in the nfc north which is which was absolute bonanza last year yeah that's that's about as as good of a spot as you could hope for for someone like that and even zay flowers jack campbell ain't guarding jordan addison i know that (laughs) 
but even uh, Zay Flowers going to Baltimore. Baltimore going three deep now. Yeah, that's the Bijan no, pick. No like Bijan to eight and Zay Flowers at 22. Like those are the two like offensive spots that like everyone nailed. Yeah, that the Zay Flowers, man. I don't I don't know what to make about that one. There was a the reason why a lot of those rumors picked up was because Lamar Jackson supposedly loves him. And I joked before the draft when we were hearing the, earlier in the day when we were hearing like they're close to a contract, but it might not get done, you know, right now. I was like, he's holding out for Zay Flowers. So I don't know. Like, you don't really want to be drafting wide receivers because your quarterback wants them. Like, <laughs> they're not out there scouting all of these guys and whatnot. Like, I'm that's that's one of the picks of the first round that I'm I don't hate it, but I'm skeptical about it because he all like again, he has limitations. And in that situation, he probably is going to be asked to do a whole lot. That's that's a lot different. Uh, depending on what OBJ is, obviously. I mean, I guess there's there's a scenario where OBJ is healthy and you know he handles the number one duties, but that that could potentially go sideways for Baltimore, I feel like. He was a never a guy I had like graded as a first round guy. Uh, even my models didn't love him as a first round guy, fine second round player. So, I mean, going to Baltimore and their history of drafting wide receivers, which isn't been good, it's going to, and now with Lamar staying there, it's going to be an inherently a low volume passing game. That's like one of the things, obviously, that doesn't, that's more from my end of the woods from like fantasy as opposed to like reality. Like, say, Flowers can be a really good real life player and open some things up in the offense. Uh, but yeah, this is a team that's still not going to throw a lot. That still has Mark Andrews, uh, still has, even with Todd Monken coming over, like you're not going to have Lamar Jackson throw the ball 650 times. It's just not ever going to happen in the NFL, uh, with this skill set. So it, it is interesting. We knew they were taking a wide receiver. This was a team that had the last 14 games of last year. They had one wide receiver touchdown. Like, I feel like that's almost impossible to do, but it happened. So I, I wrote up the Lamar Jackson extension uh, today for the site, or last night, technically, I guess, if we want to do that. When, when the Lamar Jackson extension happened, uh, I wrote about it for Sharp Football Analysis, and I included a graph of the players who have run routes <laughs> with Lamar Jackson over the past three seasons. Eventually and they had to do this. It is not great. So you have Mark Andrews who leads the way at 925. And you have Marquise Brown at 729. Go to Devin DuVernay at 631. So Devin DuVernay already the third guy on this list. Mm. Then you go to Patrick Ricard is number four at 297. Yes. Yes. Uh, Then you got Rashad Bateman, Willie Sneed. uh, You have J.K. Dobbins. Miles Boykin is up there. Like this is, it's not an impressive group. So they drafted all those guys. Yeah. Most of them. Sure. Well, so, you know what? That's kind of one of the reasons why, like, I'm skeptical about this. Like, it feels like they were desperate and they reached. Like, Zay Flowers belongs on day two. He's he's never going to be a number one wide receiver. There is no path to that happening. He's not big enough or fast enough. He can't become that. And I I don't think you can justify drafting that type of player in the first round, especially when you're. You know, Jordan Addison, you could make a case that he's like a long shot to ever be a number one, but at least you're drafting him to a team that is capable, should should make the playoffs next year, capable of being a contender in a weak NFC. You're you're adding him to help right now with a next to a number one wide receiver. Baltimore, man, that feels like a desperate pick for a guy that you're trying to plug in there. And 
with, with some really obvious limitations. Yeah, plus with Minnesota, they I have to pay the richest wide receiver contract in NFL history very soon. So you're going to need some cheap guys, yep. some cheaper guys. And so like that's the other part of the taking a wide receiver if you're the Vikings versus a corner is like it's the same thing, right? Like you're, you're, you know you're not going to be able to pay multiple wide receivers because Jefferson's almost going to get two wide receiver contracts. Uh, so you have to get some guys on, on rookie deals that are actually functional players too like that's the thing it's not just all about contractual leverage like dan always talks about it's like you still need good good players at that salary too yeah that's a good point yeah so as we move on here quick shout out to the eagles uh for (laughs) picking both guys who were mocked to them at 10th overall and they somehow (laughs) ended up with them at uh at pick nine, the slight trade up for Jalen Carter. Uh, who's the team that has 70 be, sacks last year. Yeah. A guy who's just going to slide into that interior defensive line and probably just you know, wreak complete havoc. And then at 30, Nolan Smith just uh, still on the board. Um, so just adding to that defensive line, there's going to be uh, a lot of pressure coming uh, from that group. But They're getting the know. old Georgia defense back together. They're just getting them all together, man. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of... Uh, you know, a lot of people were congratulating Howie Rosen, but it's kind of lazy to just pick all the Georgia guys. Like anyone can do that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't think the draft could have worked out much better uh, for them either. So that's the, probably a, the high grade for, for that draft class. So as we finish up here, let's let's look at some of the guys who are available for day two because i think this is where it is a little interesting like we kind of already talked about levis but there are some guys who we did think were going to go in the first round who were mocked there um uh who were are going to be sitting here waiting for the 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 top of the second round uh we have you know there wasn't that tight end run uh that we kind of were wondering if there would be one dalton kincaid uh, went uh 25th overall to the bills i I like that fit the way they were kind of getting a little heavier last year too. Now you have a guy who you can move a, a little more now you, with that and Dawson Knox, that 12 personnel is going to be a, a lot of fun. Um, but he was the only guy who went. So we still have Michael Mayer uh, who is sitting there. We have Luke Musgrave. We still have uh, Darnell Washington. So I think that the tight end runs. Sam Laporta eraser. Just <laughs> killing me. Sorry. He's, he's there too. Uh, tight end one, Sam Laporta on the board. So, but yeah, so I think we'll probably see an early run on tight ends, I think, if we start day two. And then the two defensive backs who I was surprised uh, didn't go in the first round, Joey Porter Jr. and uh, Brian Branch. Um, so, uh, Ryan, what are you uh, looking for uh, as we start and look toward kind of what could potentially be happening at the top of the draft in the second round? Yeah, I mean, there's a ton of great players. Like, this is sort of where this draft has a strength, I think, is at the top of round two because there was sort of a tier of like maybe eight to 10 like blue chip prospects and then sort of like a huge group of guys that were just sort of okay to plug into the back end of the first round. But I think the, you know, the last 20 or so-ish picks of the first round were kind of guys that, you know, I think in most years, most teams wouldn't have been would have said they weren't thrilled to get that guy in the first round. It's just a case of this sort of being weak draft at the top. But now there's going to be a bunch of guys at the top of the first, you know, 15 to 20 picks at the top of the second round are going to be players that 
are really of equal value to the back end of the first round that we saw that now you're you're just getting these players a little bit cheap a little bit cheaper compared to what some teams had to reach for at the end of the first round so the top players on my board my personal board right now are drew sanders he was my favorite linebacker in this class i think he's got such a huge ceiling a slightly different player than jack campbell who the lions reached for sanders i think is going to be Hopefully he goes to a team that likes to blitz a lot because that's where he's really going to be spectacular, I think. Cam Smith, the cornerback from South Carolina, I'm not surprised that he wasn't in the first round, but I'm really high on him. I think he's going to do well if he goes somewhere that plays a lot of man coverage. Another linebacker, Trenton Simpson from Clemson. I was – it was starting – as we got close to the draft, it was looking like he was not going to go in the first round, but I'm a little bit surprised by that. Just a a really good athlete. He's probably a little bit better in coverage than Jack Campbell – or Drew Sanders. So if he goes to a team that really values that, that'd be a great fit for him. Yeah, he kind of played that like that overhang slot position mm-hmm. a little bit. And I'm not sure if that scares teams off at all because I feel like you might have been burned by that role at Clemson before. Yeah, obviously he kind of fit that Isaiah Simmons role. But he's, he's clearly bigger and more physical than Simmons. Yeah. So that's why I'm personally not worried about him having a – struggling to fit in like Simmons has in Arizona. I think it should be a smoother transition for him. Um, and hopefully he, hopefully he goes to a, a defensive staff that, you know, sees a really specific role for him. Cause I think that was one of the issues that Simmons has had in Arizona was that they just sort of didn't, <laughs> didn't really have a clear cut plan for him. It kind of bounced him around a little bit. And then De- the next guy is Dewan Jones, the offensive tackle from Ohio state. I, he was another guy that, it became clear as we got close to drafted that he probably wasn't going to go, but I was surprised because like we've talked about, this is a weak class for offensive tackle. So I would not be surprised if he's among the first like five names off the board for that reason, because there's, there's not going to be a lot of good offensive linemen drafted on day two. There's a few good guards, uh, but Dewan Jones might be the only, the, the only tackle whose name we hear called, or at least the only one who has like a reasonable chance of being effective as a rookie and obviously the quarterbacks we've got levis we already talked about and then hendon hooker what i'm most curious with those guys is to see who comes off the board first because i would not be shocked if it's actually hooker now that i didn't point, yeah. i didn't think hooker was going to go in round one but now that they're both available on round two and hooker is less of a you're less worried about drafting an older injured player on on day two and so th- that was the biggest knock against Hooker for considering him in round one. And at this point, I could definitely see a team like the Raiders maybe taking Hooker over Levis. Yeah, certainly uh, very interesting, especially when we got those quarterbacks. And it kind of seems like there's uh, apparently a very big teardrop after Richardson, but it also seems like there's – potentially a bigger teardrop. And we kind of talked about this with the, the quarterbacks previously um, after Levis and hooker, there's really not those, those mid round guys that have even been bumped up talking like we haven't even discussed anyone in, you know, in someone who might be a, like a, a mid round quarterback pick uh, going on. So yeah, where those two guys go are going to be very interesting. I- I'm interested to see where, where Brian branch goes. Um, I thought he could fit in real well with uh, the Jaguars who just needed a slot player, but obviously they're going offensive tackle uh, with Ken Robinson suspended. Um, and obviously they just need some, some offensive line help to, to help out Trevor Lawrence there. Um, but yeah, he's, he's a, a fun player. 
Um, Steelers sitting there with pick 32 and Joey Porter Jr. on the on the board. That was a connection made in, in the first round. So maybe we, we kind of see some of these uh, uh, first round the connections happen uh, later in the draft. And Steelers and Joey Porter Jr. They might be the top one. It, it certainly could be, but I, although I would hate this as a Browns fan, the Steelers should be hoping they get DeWan Jones because talk about overhauling your offensive line. If you could plug in Broderick Jones at left tackle and DeWan Jones at right tackle, suddenly that is a completely different unit that you could feel really good about their ability to protect Kenny Pickett in a way that they were not able to last year. Yeah, both tackles could be replaced too. They, mm-hmm. neither one of them are good. And obviously a core four is a little older, but yeah, like I said, Dan Moore has not delivered on his rookie. Okay. And he wasn't like, they didn't invest a lot into Dan Moore, but he's been starting. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm also interested in, in the wide receiver run that we, that we might see. We, we kind of saw it in the back half of the first round, but we still have some, some good wide receivers. The two Tennessee guys, Jalen Highway, Cedric Tillman, uh, Marvin Mims, who we're all high on. You have Jonathan Mingo, Jaden Reed, uh, Tyler Scott, uh, Tank Dell, I think all of those guys will probably see come off the board at some point uh, here in uh, the second round as it gets started. Um, yeah. So, but like I said, uh, a lot of, a lot of good players is still on the board and we'll be here to uh, break it all down. Um, yeah, we, I always we think Friday's a- the, well, at least for me, cause of the fantasy stuff, like I always think Friday is the best day. Because the the round two and three like together you get because that's where the NFL is like typically where all the running backs go now and then we get that like that that next tier of wide receivers right to sort itself out because you have a lot of guys that are grouped together and we'll get some clarity on you know how they're treated. Yeah, the running backs that come off the board tomorrow mm-hmm. are going to be really interesting because there's there's a pretty big group who could. I literally Maybe have like eight guys in the, in the same tier. So like, yeah, I'm just waiting to see like where the capital falls. <laughs> yeah. It's really interesting. Cause that's, that's a huge group. There's no way all of them do though. Like some of those guys, right. are, like if one of the guys that we think could go tomorrow could also fall to the fifth round. Yep. So like, we're going to see some wild swings as far as expectations, especially in fantasy for this group. Yeah. Just uh, no one tell the lions that running backs might be falling. Um, <laughs> Uh, so, uh, we're going to be covering a whole bunch of stuff. We'll still be, uh, doing some, some updates. You can uh, be looking at all of, uh, our Twitter accounts over the next day, two days, uh, all throughout, uh, the weekend, we're going to have a, a written recap of the first round, uh, coming up, uh, on Friday during the day, probably while you're listening to this, that, that should be up. Uh, we'll still have, a a whole bunch of other written pieces. Um, you know, Ryan's going to be writing a ton. Rich is going to be writing a ton. We're, we're all going to be writing a ton. You can find all of that on shot football uh, analysis.com. Uh, you can find Rich on Twitter at what reads. You can find Ryan on Twitter at Ryan underscore McChrystal. You can find me on Twitter at Dan Pizzuta. Thank you guys uh, for listening, hanging out with us uh, during this first round recap. Uh, we will talk to you again soon.